Welcome to Chapter 2 of HealthSystemCIO.com's interview with Chad Brizendine, CIO at St. Luke's University Health Network. In this segment, Brizendine talks about what it takes to lead change when you're the new CIO, why virtualization is a must in today's world, and what his team is doing to increase patient engagement. One of the, the biggest issues that, that we encounter when speaking to CIOs is change management. And, uh, you know, the, the challenge that you face, especially as the new, the new CIO and wanting to, to lead all of this change. And can you talk about what was basically what, what was required from a leadership perspective in, in handling that uh, in a way that it, that it was a little bit more palatable for, for the staff? Yeah, I mean, it basically comes down to the CIO having key relationships within the business, um, being transparent, communicating, communicating effectively and talking about, you know, who owns what. And change management um, has to be operationally owned, um, supported by IT. And so, you know, our physicians drove a lot of the changes that we needed for meaningful use. Our nurses drove meaningful use. IT supported it. We put the systems in place. We helped train. We helped design training. We helped design workflow all the components, but um, we've had a very high success rate with all of our work effort because of the operational ownership, leadership ownership, um, you know, because we had, at the time, um, we only had about half of our hospitals that even had, uh, I guess you would call it maybe stage two of the HIMSS model in, so not only did we, oh, wow. you know, basically bring up the hospitals all the way to HIMSS stage six, we brought up all six hospitals to HIMSS stage six on the same system, so that requires a lot of leadership commitment, ownership, and uh, work, and that was, you know, what my team did with the other uh, executives within the organization. So we're really big on, you know, sponsors and really engaging those sponsors and having those sponsors play a big role in the programs that we initiate. Yeah, and I would think that that's, um, that's one of the, the key points towards uh, emphasizing that uh, that that certain things aren't being done, you know, to people, but... Uh, you know, just kind of getting away from that that mentality of this is what we're doing to you. Right. So for you coming in, I guess that it was pretty, uh, it had been established that, that this is what the organization wanted to do. So I, I can imagine that that was a little bit daunting now, or, or was it something where you were up for the challenge of, you know, coming in as, as the, the new CIO and, um, you know, leading this, like, significant change? I don't know. I, I kind of um, definitely had my challenges within the first year. I think as you get adjusted to any culture or any organization and kind of understand what needs to be done, who does it need to be done for, and how do you go about that, it can be pretty daunting, especially when the list is fairly long. And um, as you know, I'm sure you talk to a lot of CIOs, the amount of volume of activity is just it's the busiest I've ever been in in you know healthcare IT um, in 17 years, uh, yeah. we have a tremendous amount of stuff that we have to do for change management and organizational change and uh, leading efforts. And so, um, you know, it's really just working with the executive team to prioritize what's important and focus on that. But yeah, I think changing a job doesn't matter how complex or how easy it is. You've got to work through the you know the culture, the relationships, the people, and um, you know, that's, that's any CIO or any major leader that changes is going to have to work through that. And so that's what I, I focused on a lot in my first year was the people and the culture and how we were going to make the changes that we needed to. And um, I was up for the task to do that. And 
kind of looking to, um, you know, break out on my own um, and kind of try to do it on my own to see if I could be successful or not. Right. Okay. When you talked about uh, some of the uh, the goals of, of the transformation, you talked about um, virtualizing the environment. And I, I wanted to talk about this just as far as, um, uh, you know, what what was required um, just as far as, uh, you know, getting, getting that infrastructure in place and just talk about uh, kind of that journey of going virtualized. You said you're at 98% right now? Mm-hmm. We have a couple yeah. of thousand virtualized servers, yep. Yeah. Okay, so if you could just kind of walk through a little bit through that process yeah, sure. and, and what was required. I mean, basically, um, and I had the uh, good experience from Christus where we were very early adopters of virtualization technology and a lot of technology um, to get a good idea of, you know, what works and what doesn't work on virtualization and how, you know, basically what are all the, the sore points. And um, I was fortunate enough to get to bring in some very seasoned technical people. And, um, you know, it was a very long process to figure out, you know, what can get virtualized, what can't, but how do you work through it, what, what gets transitioned, et cetera. Um, but, you know, in, in this day, I think, you know, virtualization is kind of a must-have um, in, in today's environment with all the functionality it brings and the, and the cost reduction as well. I think really our major difference was actually picking the servers than it was virtual. I mean, we knew we were going to go virtualized and we knew we were going to try to get above 90%. And I think we've, we've gone much further. Um, even VMware tells us this much further than what we thought we would get um, as far as our virtual, virtual environment. Um, but I think the, really the challenge was figuring out how do we keep the total cost of the data center down, right? So we knew virtualization would provide us flexibility from a number, a variety of places. Um, it was really, I think, more of the, the server infrastructure that we decided to change and we actually made a switch from, um, I won't say what vendor, but to Cisco UCS. And um, as part of that transition, we really looked at what is the cost to maintain compute or servers within the environment. And what does it cost to maintain storage within the environment as well? So we looked at, you know, tiering our storage and, and replication within our storage. And so we made a lot of decisions around that, which helped us decrease the cost of running the data center and run it more efficiently, effectively, as well as we, on our, our server side, with the Cisco UCS platform, with the availability structure that it has within it, it increased our availability, as well as we have a lot less networking infrastructure that's required behind it. So our cost to actually configure the network side of the server went down uh, because of the way that it's designed. So those were really two core major decisions that we had. Um, and then really the other one was just what tiering do we want on all the systems and how much of it do we want to run out of each data center and the way that we're designed. We can fail over to each data center or in some cases some of our systems were actually running both systems out of two data centers. So in the event that we have our A side of the data center go down, our B side of the data center is running, and we have tier one applications that will run out of that data center. So a lot of the, the, those components were really the major challenges with the design of how we wanted to deliver the uh, overall infrastructure within the environment, if that makes sense. Right, right. Okay. You, you talked about uh, meaningful use being um, obviously a big priority. Now, uh, at, at this point, have you attested to stage two? Yes, we did attest to stage two. Okay. One of the, uh, the, 
what we've already what we've heard to be uh, significant challenges with stage two has been um, patient engagement. And uh, I know that you you have a, a patient portal, so I just wanted to talk about kind of what your strategy has been there and what kind of traction you've seen. Yeah, we had a a, a number of challenges um, with the overall um, you know way that the portal would work and. The challenges with it wasn't as much as the way that it was reporting. And so basically, on the on the ambulatory side, it's the workflow's fairly good uh, for patient engagement because you know you get the document out there, you can provide the visit summary out there at the end, and it's a more frequent visit, right? The uh, they're a little bit more engaged on the ambulatory than they are on the acute. So getting the acute numbers was actually challenging. We had a whole group kind of brainstorming a million ideas to try to figure out different ways and. The way that it ended up working for us, and we got about um, 18,000 active accounts on the acute side, um, and we have a little, just to kind of give you a little bit of breadth of the HIE, we have about 11 million documents and, and basically results within our health information exchange. We have about 120 uh, built interfaces within that. We have about 56 uh, community practices that are providing and sharing data to it. Um, we probably have about 15 that are in signature or in the pipeline. So we're continuing to grow what I call the foundation of what can be shared within our community portal. And that's important because, you know, the more information that we can provide to the patient and the more comprehensive information that we can provide to that patient, the more they're going to want to get into it. And so, you know, a lot of patients, they have a, you know, community provider, maybe a primary care that has some other EMR, and so their information gets generated from that. But the patients don't want to go to that. EMR and then maybe go to the St. Luke's ambulatory EMR and then go, I mean, uh, patient portal, excuse me, go to the, you know, the primary care that's affiliated but doesn't have the same EMR to the St. Luke's uh, employee provider that has a different uh, portal and then one that has an acute portal. So we decided to lay a portal on top of our um, HIE probably about three years ago. And um, we started building the foundation and then when we laid the portal on top of it, uh, our our initial focus was when the patient left the hospital, you know, the, the CCD document would get pushed out and then we would have people calling the patients and we would, you know, try to call the patients and we'd try to hunt them down and um, we even provided all kinds of education material when they left and when they came in for registration and we were collecting emails and we were doing a bunch of things that weren't working to get our percentage up. And so what we decided to do was basically hire students, nurses, basically, to go into the patient rooms upon discharge and then set up their accounts with them and educate them and actually get them into the system. And so we ended up doing that and our percentages went kind of out of the roof. And um, we, were, we were probably in the first part of our attestation, we were not hitting the mark. And then when we changed that during our attestation, we actually saw our numbers jump up. And so we ended up getting like over 25% um, to, you know, basically view uh, clinical information within the patient portal for our, our meaningful use attestation, which would have almost, if you double the number, because of our, our a number of discharges that we had in the first part that we were missing. So we're continuing to do that program where we have basically assigned accountability. We're actually in the process of moving on from nurses to actually full-time employees, which will have people going around in the patient rooms and upon discharge sharing the, the CCD and talking to them about it and talking to them about the patient portal and showing them the features and functions and that as part of the discharge process. So. Um, you know, that's basically how we're, how we're working it. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.